them to Romans 3, verse 21. That's where we're at. Some of you already know that. Uh, But we'll be spending the next four weeks in verses 21 through 26. Um, Because as Carlton mentioned last week, many commentators would say that this section of Romans, 21 through 26, is central. It's it's right at the center of Paul's message of the whole of Romans. Uh, They're extremely important, and they're chopped full of really, really deep truth. So since I'm going first uh, in this series, I'm going to lay out or give you the outline for the next four messages. So you can go ahead and get ahead and mark it in your Bible or just get ready. Um, And so if I don't deal with something that you think should have been dealt with, you can see it's probably going to be dealt with in the next three weeks in these verses. So today we'll be looking at 21 through 22a. That means we'll stop at the word believe And next week, we'll pick up with the phrase, for there is no distinction. So if you want to make a mark there, uh, we'll we'll take, for there is no distinction, on through verse 23. Then the following week, we'll hit 24 and 25a, uh, and we'll stop at to be received by faith. And finally, we'll preach the last message in this series, beginning at 25b, and go through 26 So it's going to be four messages, really five, because Carlton kind of outlined the whole thing for us last week on Easter. Uh, So hope that by the time we're done with this section, you're grasping a lot of of truth that uh, not is just for your head, but transforms your heart in the way that you understand the good news of Jesus. Um, So hopefully that gives you a quick idea of where we're going. Uh, And as you give each of those passages a look, you'll see kind of what each one is is getting at, although maybe you won't be able to see all the depth of it, but that's why we have preaching. So today we'll be be dealing with the first of these ideas, and uh, to understand where Paul is going and to make sense of our verse and a half this morning, we've got to go way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and here's what Paul says there kind of putting it together in pieces. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay? But then in the very next verse, he launches into the idea that God's righteousness is also revealed by his wrath against unrighteousness. And this just makes sense. You can't be a good judge and let murderers remain on the streets. A good judge brings forth justice. That's what righteousness means, to do what's right. And he stays with this really dark idea for two whole chapters, showing how God's righteousness is revealed through the pouring out of his wrath on all ungodliness. But where he's leading us all along is to see that every one of us, all humanity, as he says in previous passages, stand without hope before God, even those who seek to obey the law. Everyone stands condemned. So look at verse, or chapter 3, verse 20, real quick. We're going to read that, kind of get a run and go at our passage, and then we'll read verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law 
comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Can I pray for us? Father, this is your word, and we are so thankful that you are a redeeming God. You could have left us dead and in darkness, but you chose at great lengths and great cost to your own self to bring us to life, to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And now you have given us understanding of what you're doing. As the Apostle Paul writes for us this morning, God, I pray that this understanding would enter through our ears, into our minds, sink down into our hearts, and transform our very being, that we may become more like you and have a better, closer, more intimate relationship with you, God. That we would cherish Jesus and be led by your spirit, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, Our passage begins this morning with a phrase, and that phrase is, but now. But now usually signifies a shift in how things have been. It's like your accountant telling you that last year you got taxed at this rate, but now you're going to be taxed at a much higher rate, right? Doesn't everyone love to hear that? Or it's like your wife telling you that you looked great when she married you, but now you're looking a little shabby, right? It happens more often than we like to admit. But here's the struggle. Oftentimes we can hear this but now phrase and have no idea at why or how the shift has taken place. It might be hard for us to connect the dots and see that our wife didn't just run down to Target, get a new set of eyes, and now she sees us differently, but rather, since we've gotten married and gotten older, we've just not not have been as jazzed about getting to the gym, and it's starting to show. Because we don't take the time to do the hard work at looking at the back then And now, we end up living in a semi-frustrated place of life. We don't really understand why the change has taken place, but we're told that it has, so we agree. But we're never really on board. Does this make sense? It's like if I tell one of my basketball players, I know you played guard last year, but now, this year, I'm going to need you to play forward. If they look at me with confused eyes and say, oh, okay, you're, you're the coach, this isn't good. While there might be some compliance accepting their role, there probably won't be buy-in, meaning they won't own their role. And if my players don't own their role, then we're not going to be a very good team. Now, most of us do this all the time in life. 
but not with everything. Just the things we don't really care about. You can tell what you care about in life because when someone tells you, but now, and everything inside of you goes, whoa, 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 I'm going to need an explanation, that's what you care about. Whatever you're not willing to overlook and just go along with because someone in a place of power or expertise told you so, that's what matters to you. Now think about it. Is that with your finances? When your tax guy tells you that you're being taxed at a higher rate, do you say, ah, figures? Or do you really dig in because money matters to you? When your wife tells you that the hobby you once had was okay, but now since you have three kids, it's not, do you go with a flow? Or do you call a marriage meeting? You see what I'm pressing on? When we read a but now, especially in the scriptures, it would be wise for us to ask questions to try and deduce how this present state came about. Because this matters. Nodding our heads and complying, oh yes, yes, I see, it's good. That doesn't help us. Paul tells us that now God's righteousness has been made manifest apart from the law. So one of the first questions that I asked of this text as I began preparing this week was, well, had God's righteousness been manifested in the law previously? And the answer that I found to this question was yes. Yes, God's righteousness had been previously made manifest or clear in the law. But now, God's righteousness has been made manifest apart from the law. You see? So because this is something that we should care about, we too should want to know what happened? What changed? How did we get here from here? And as I've thought about how this awesome truth in our text will best settle in your hearts, I've decided that the way that we'll spend the majority of our time this morning is digging into the justification that Paul points to for this change. Look at your text. That justification is this. The law and prophets bear witness to it. You see that? He makes the statement, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. So he's giving you a hint there. The law and prophets is a shorthanded way of talking about the Old Testament. So essentially what Paul is saying is that all the scriptures they have at this time bear witness to the change of God's righteousness being revealed in the law but now being revealed apart from it. It's all there. This isn't some new theology or made-up doctrine Paul is peddling. This is and always has been right there in the Scripture for those with eyes to see. 
you might ask, and I hope you ask, how so? Well, that's what I've prepared. Travel back with me to Genesis, all the way at the beginning. When God gave the first command or law recorded in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is what we read. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall what? Surely die. Now, what God was doing here was showing himself to be a good father. He didn't want death to come upon Adam and Eve. And so he commanded Adam to not eat. And he warned him of the consequences if he disobeyed. Here, we can clearly see the righteousness of God on display being revealed by his fatherly protection his care, his love for Adam and Eve through his law, his command. But we miss this, don't we? We easily overlook this because we are much like children. When I tell my kids that they cannot play in the road or get the bleach out from under the cabinet, They don't turn to me and say, you're such a good father. If it wouldn't be so embarrassing, I would show you what the one-year-old does. It's not that, though. He doesn't turn and say, thank you for protecting me, Dad, caring for me, loving me. No, They're so focused on what's being taken from them that they don't have ultimate autonomy that they get furious, that they get angry, that they get mad. And even if they don't get outwardly mad like my one-year-old, they still stew on the inside going, well, I really wish I could have it. It really looks good, though. Why is he keeping me from it? So rather than revel in the fact that they have a loving, protecting, caring father, they miss that altogether. And all they see, all my kids see, is rules. Rules. Commands. Laws. Do's and don'ts. Church, if you see Christianity as a list of rules, you're missing it. You're missing it. These rules are meant to reveal God's righteous and awesome character. Now, as we know, man and woman are deceived and sin against God. They disobey. And it's in chapter 3 of Genesis that we see God's righteousness revealed through his integrity and justice. As he pronounces over Adam and Eve these consequences that he warned them about in Genesis 2. Throughout the rest of Genesis, we see glimpses of God giving commands to his people that will be known in the future as Israel. But it's in Exodus 
that we get the law through Moses. And this is where God's righteousness becomes explicitly on display, revealing his character more clear than ever. As he gives them laws about how to rightly worship him, civil laws on how to treat and care for one another, and ceremonial laws that were meant to show that Yahweh was different and so much better than all the little g-gods of other nations. He is so much better. His character is righteous. And through Old Testament law, his righteousness has been made manifest for those with eyes to see. So the next time someone asks you about the Old Testament and they say something like, wasn't that just a bunch of rules and stuff? You can say, well, yeah, there's a whole lot of rules and stuff, but not merely for the sake of telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Rather, the main reason these rules are given is so that we would know the character of our God. That's why they're given. We would know his awesome, beautiful, fantastic, glorious character, his righteous character. It's in these laws that his righteousness is revealed. But there's something else that we're getting in the law and prophets. Thinking back to Genesis again, after Adam and Eve sinned and God is pronouncing judgment on them, we also get this little redemptive thread. You remember this? Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is that? Well, it seems that not only is God revealing his character through the law, but he is also giving us a glimpse of, it seems like, a son who will ultimately destroy this deceiving serpent. Hmm. Then what about the next story? Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first sons. There we have a, a righteous son who worships God faithfully, who seeks to honor God, while the other son doesn't. And worse, the other son hates his faithful brother and murders him. What could this cryptic story mean? Then we have Abraham and Isaac, a father who must take his own son and lay him on the altar to kill him. What could this be pointing to? Or the story of Joseph, who was cast out by his brothers, yet saved them and forgave them. The story of Moses, whose life should have ended as a baby, grows up and leads his people to freedom out from under the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Then we have Joshua, the conqueror, who marches the people of God into the promised land. We have King David, who sits upon a throne of Israel and rules with a heart like God's. 
We have prophets like Isaiah telling us about a Savior who will bear our iniquities on himself. One who will be crushed for our transgressions and it will be by his wounds that we are healed. Now I could literally spend the rest of the day going on and on and on, but I hope you get the point. Not only do we get the character of our God through these rules and laws and commands, but we also get these redemptive threads and glimpses that serve almost like a bio of one to come. One who we're waiting on. And it's through these redemptive threads, creating this bio of a person that is revealing the righteousness of our God. (laughs) When you understand the scriptures that way, really start to be powerful in your life. And so this is the Old Testament, guys. This is not the New Testament. This is the Old Testament Paul's talking about. The scriptures that he had. (laughs) Can you imagine John the Baptist, the greatest prophet to ever live, according to Jesus, having this kind of understanding about the Old Testament? He did. We know this because one day, as this greatest prophet to ever live is standing in the Jordan, offering to all who would come a baptism of repentance, he looks up and he says, There he is. There he is. The very righteousness of God revealed apart from the law. Listen to John's words in John 3. Behold, John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because why? He was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, this purpose... I came baptizing with water that he might be what? Revealed, made manifest to Israel. (laughs) That's so good. The righteousness of God revealed apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who would believe. That's what it's all leading up to. That should set your soul on fire. That this is what our God's been doing all along. Seeking to save his people. Reveal his good, awesome character to them. That they might love him and worship him. And that's not what we've done. And he still comes after us. But here's the big idea that I'm getting at in an analogy. I hope this helps kind of sum it all up. If you've ever traveled away from your spouse or someone you love then you know the glory of a picture, right? You know the glory of a picture. A picture 
of the one you love will lift your spirits. It will give you hope. It will bring to mind all the goodness and love that you share, creating real mental and emotional responses. But once you've been reunited with that person, (laughs) the picture loses its glory because of the new glory that stands in front of you that you get to behold the picture no longer has glory. You don't keep going back to the picture when the person is standing in front of you. And so Paul says God's righteousness has now been made manifest through faith in Jesus. Therefore, it doesn't make any sense to continue to look for God's righteousness in the law when it's now been made manifest through faith in Jesus. Like, I hope you're getting that. I think for some of you, it's a hard pill to swallow. Am I saying that the law has no purpose and needs to be thrown out? No. If I do, Jacob will correct me in a few weeks as he takes that part of Paul's message. But because God's righteousness has been made manifest through faith in Jesus apart from the law, that's where we primarily go. In fact, listen to this. Any way in which we use the scriptures must serve the purpose of stirring up and cultivating faith in Jesus. Or you're using it wrong. That's what the scriptures are meant for. Not to beat you down, but to stir and cultivate hope in your heart that you might walk as he walked. Listen to Paul in Galatians 3. I'm going to start in verse 10. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who has hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now let's continue to press by digging into this phrase, through faith in Jesus that Paul gives us. What does it mean that the righteousness of God has been made manifest through faith in Jesus? What does that mean? Well, first, it means that when you believe in the atoning work of Jesus on your behalf, catch this, you become the righteousness of God. That's a forensic declaration. And what that means is now God looks at you and says, righteous. And he's absolutely just in doing this because Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to you. He bore your sins on Calvary, and now you stand in all of his righteousness. 
absolutely radical. When God, through faith in Jesus, makes this declaration over you, you are then given the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 3. You become the very temple of God. I'm going to say that again. You become the very temple of the righteous God. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you don't understand what I'm saying. God's own spirit dwells in you. Secondly, the righteousness of God has been made manifest through faith in Jesus means that it's faith that brings forth this forensic declaration or what we call justification, but it's also by faith that the righteousness of God continues to be revealed. You see, growing up, I always thought that the gospel was like a bait and switch. There's this free gift that's yours if you simply believe. But once you believe and receive, well, now you need to obey all that God says. But church, Paul would have a major problem with the way that's presented. Remember back to Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. What Paul's saying here is that you don't, if you don't have faith, or you don't believe or you don't have faith and then go back to the law. It's a wrong move. It makes zero sense. Let me just quote from 2 Corinthians 3 where he explains this in detail. I'm going to start in verse 7 and read a little bit. So try to, try to hear what I'm saying. It's a lot. If the ministry of death, he's talking about the law, carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed its glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what if, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now this next part's very important. Listen close. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. 
It's important you get this connection. He's not, he's not hopscotching. He's, he's linking things up here. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay. So much there. But this is the point. The righteousness of God is made manifest through faith in Jesus Christ for your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification. All of it. If you want to progress in the Christian life, walk by God's Spirit. Hold up, Corey. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought we were talking about having faith in Jesus. Now, now, now you're switching it and saying walk by God's Spirit. I don't even see that in this text. Where's that even at? Right? Is that something different? Nope. Check this out. Through faith in the person of Jesus, you are to let his spirit that he's placed inside of you lead you. This is walking by faith and not by sight. Step aside a second. This is not in there. Israel's problem after walking in the wilderness, or I'm sorry, after being in bondage to to Egypt for so long was when that God set them free, what did they constantly seek to do? Go back to bondage. They tried to, that was home to them. You understand? So you got to understand that our natural move as people who have been trying to do and do our whole lives is that when we by faith have been saved, guess what our natural tendency is going to be to do, church? Let me just work it out. Stop it. Stop it. Let me put it negatively. Stop following an instruction manual and start trusting his spirit. The Bible's not meant to be used as an instruction manual. His spirit will lead you into holiness that you can't get through the law. You see that? I'm going to say it again louder. His spirit will lead you into holiness that you can't get through the law. You can't get it. Like, I hope you understand this. And as uncomfortable as making it, some of you feel, I want to make you feel more uncomfortable. Because if this is not shattered in your heart, then you will never fly like God has called you to. The living God has given you his spirit. He didn't call you to just do some good things. He's got things prepared beforehand, predestined for you that you would walk into them. And they're greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. So you keep reading and reading and reading. You're not going to look up. You're not going to listen to God's spirit inside of you. You're not going to fly, man. All right. A few of our men went to T4G this past week. And apparently, John Piper preached a message on holiness that was incredible. 
I take their word for it. I haven't got to listen to it yet. But I trust these men. But what I do know is that we as the people of Grace Fellowship need to get serious about holiness. We must get serious about holiness, church. We must be serious about holiness. This is the character of our God. Holy, holy, holy. If you care nothing about holiness, then there is something defunct in you if you call yourself a believer. But here is the key. Being serious about holiness doesn't mean we need to cinch up our knowledge and adherence to the law. No. God forbid. We need to get serious about listening and trusting God's spirit that he's placed in each one of us. This is how the righteousness of God is and will be revealed through faith in Jesus for all who believe. You want to grow in grace and holiness? Believe. Trust God's spirit that he's given you. And maybe you're here today and you've been a part of Grace Fellowship for as long as you can remember. You might even be a leader and if you're honest within yourself right now, you don't know what it means to walk by God's Spirit. If you're just being real honest. Over time, you've resorted back to the old ways of reading your Bible like an instruction manual and just doing the best you can. I've prayed today that you would hear this message and you would reach out to someone in humility and you would say to them, can you help me walk by the Spirit? Brother, I'm not, I, I, sister, I'm not, I'm not sure if I know what that means. Can you help me with that? I don't, I don't feel led by God's Spirit on a daily basis. I just do the things I believe I'm supposed to do and it's the best I can do. You're missing out. You are missing out. You are missing out. And I'm going to plead with you for a moment because I have to plead often with my children to help them see that if they don't listen to what I'm saying, they're missing out on life. You don't want to have to wear a diaper the rest of your life. You don't want to have to just Feast off a bottle. There's so much more better things for you. And church, I'm telling you today, there's so much better things for you that God has for you when you walk by his spirit. And you stop with this. So I'm praying that this message would actually leave you with more questions than it does answers. Because I believe this is where somewhere we need to, as a church, dig in and have lots of discussion. Lots of discussion. Lots of discussion. Spirit-filled conversation about what it practically looks like to have faith in Jesus and be led by his spirit every day. So Carlton's going to come now and help us to respond to this truth.
as you can see, we're going to partake of the supper together. And um, I'm so thankful that Corey opened up the Old Testament just a little bit because there's also a, a picture 